Today, we're going to be exploring a little bit more our freedom that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Today, um, if we follow the, the church calendar and we look back in, in history, it's Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He was heralded as king, but his journey was taking him to the cross to die for us, to die for our sins, but also to die to set you and I completely free, free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin, and free to live as God intended for us to live in union with him. God has incredibly good things for you and for me. If you've trusted Jesus as your savior, according to to what we read earlier in the chapter here in Ephesians 1, you've already been given every spiritual blessing. You may not feel like you have those blessings right now, but they are yours. And so somewhere maybe there's a disconnect between your experiencing those and, um, and the fact that God has given them to you in Christ. And what I hope to do today is help you reconnect the disconnect. I don't know if that's very good English, but I think it's good theology. So we're going to go with that part at least. Oftentimes we don't feel like we're where we're supposed to be with God. Maybe today, even though you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and and you desire to to serve Him as your Lord, maybe you don't feel like you're in His presence. Maybe there there seems like there's, there's a barrier between you and God. I have good news for you in that God wants to be able to take down that barrier and draw you close to Him. Uh, Through our earlier series, we saw how God kept moving closer and closer and closer to us, and now we're looking for how we're instructed to respond to Him. And this passage that we have here in Ephesians chapter 1 gives us the key to understanding how it is that we can truly receive these blessings that God has given us and live in freedom before Him. And the secret is the Holy Spirit. God's spiritual blessings come to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what this passage is talking about when it says, as Carl just read for us, that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He has given us the Holy Spirit and he's showing us how we are to live. Now, These verses here in 11 through 14 flow out of what we've already heard in verse 3. So I want you to back up in your Bibles for just a moment so that we can can see this promise that I've already mentioned in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has everything for you that you could ever desire already. He doesn't give good gifts to some of his children and not to others. It's not a matter of how well we measure up from the standpoint of making ourselves right with God because none of us measure up. We're all sinners. We're all separated 
from God because of our sin. But in Christ, which is the secret to everything that you see here in the book of Ephesians, in Christ, he has given us these treasured blessings. And all these spiritual blessings that Christ purchased for us, um, he delivers them to us through the Holy Spirit. We looked at what those were last week, so I'm not going to take the time to do that. But if you want, read through the first 10 verses, and you'll see some of those blessings that he has for us. What God wants for us to do is to receive and then live out and give out those blessings. And so receiving all that God offers means, first of all, receiving God's Son as our Savior and our Lord. The only way into a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Without faith in Him, we have no blessings. We're separated from God. God the Father has given us God the Son to pay the price of our sin that separates us from God. And God the Son has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that relationship and to enable us to live the life that he has for us. So it begins with us believing that God really does want to fill us with his presence, with the Holy Spirit. And it says here in verses 13 and 14, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So every blessing that we have comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you right now. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you sense something, it's not about an emotional experience. It's about a promise of truth from God's word that we are to operate our lives based on belief that what he says is true. We've been given this seal. And let me read verses 13 and 14 again, because I want you to see what happens. In him, which is Christ Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the full possession of it. Notice what happens. It says that faith comes by hearing. This is what we read in Romans as well. Salvation is enacted also by trusting in Christ. We hear the good news of the gospel. We, we hear what the truth is, and we respond to it by trusting in Jesus Christ, and then we are sealed. Now, a, a seal, we need to look back into biblical times to really get an understanding of what that means. A seal, and I've got a picture of one I want to put up on the screen here. This is the kind of seal it's talking about. It would have been a piece of, uh, of wax that is melted on, on something that is official, and then an imprint would be placed into that seal showing the authority of the one who made the seal. Now, anytime you go, especially to file paperwork like with the foreign police, which many of us do, there are times when you need documents with an apostille or whatever where you need an official seal, and and. The Czechs love seals. Most of them are stamps, but it's the same kind of idea. You know, if you don't have four stamps on your document, you know, I have yet to figure out why I need a stamp on every receipt for everything I buy. But, man, they do it. They stamp everything. They want you to know it's sealed, it's official, and they sign it. No one could ever read the signatures that they put on there when you go to the store, but it means it's official, that's the kind of seal it's talking about, only it's so much more because this seal comes from God himself. And seals were a very common thing in biblical times. In fact, I have a picture for you 
of the seal of the prophet of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. They found this in, in an archaeological dig and put up the next picture. I just want to show you what this looks like. This is not that one, the one before it, that one. It's thousands of years old, and it used the same idea. That seal says on it in Hebrew, belonging to Isaiah, to the prophet Isaiah. So if he wrote a prophecy, he would put his seal on there so you knew that it was authentic, that it was real. That's what God is saying he has given to each, of, each one of us in the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that seal represents two things that are incredibly important for us to understand. It is a seal of authority and authenticity, but it also comes with a responsibility. That seal means ownership. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, showing that our salvation is real, it's authentic, but also that we belong to God. We no longer are our own. In fact, in the scripture, we're told in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price So glorify God in your body. We need to recognize that the seal of the Holy Spirit means our salvation is real, but also God has ownership over everything I am. All that I am, all that I'll ever be belongs to him. Until we recognize that, we will never really move closer in intimacy with the Lord. Because there will be a barrier where we want our own will and there will be a battle of wills between us and God. And let me tell you, um, without any exception, who wins that battle? God will. You will never find the peace, the hope, the joy, the life that you're looking for until you surrender and say, God, I am yours. You can have me, every bit of me all my plans, all my relationships, everything that I have. So how do we know that we're sealed? I mean, what's the evidence of, I mean, we obviously can't open up our hearts and see, you know, a piece of wax on us, you know, with the imprint. It's not something like that. But there is a seal and there is evidence of what, of that seal that shows the authenticity of our faith, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Well, the very next verses here in Ephesians, gives us a hint to it, uh, to what that is. And if you look down in verse 15, uh, it's not going to be on the screen. So just, if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to look at it. But here in verse 15, after he's talked about this seal and this, this, and, um, this guarantee that we have, he says, for this reason, because of the seal, and because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints... So he's saying he's heard about their faith, and more importantly, he's seen the evidence that their faith is real in their love. That's the first indicator that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, is that you have a love that defines who you are. In fact, in the book of Galatians, we're given nine marks that show the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit called the fruits of the Spirit. I want to invite you to to, to turn there, and let's look at the evidence of, of how we can know whether or not we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, okay, so he's saying, if you belong to me and you've been given the Holy Spirit, these are the things that will define your life, these fruits. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what defines your life? What would others say defines your character? Are you defined by those nine traits, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience? Or... Are you striving? Do you have frequent conflict and difficulty with other people? If so, there's an indicator that the Holy Spirit is not filling your life. You may be sealed because every believer has the seal of the Holy Spirit, but not every believer is filled. In fact, I believe we all leak all the time, and we need to be continually filled. Partly, I believe that's true because the whole purpose of the fruit is to be shared with other people to be poured out into the lives of others around us. God fills us so that we can pour out his grace, his truth, his presence into the lives of others around us. Fruit is meant to be shared. It's meant to refresh the lives of others. And so he's saying this is the evidence that shows whether or not you're being filled with the Holy Spirit, whether or not your faith is real. Excuse me. Some people um, will teach and and they they will emphasize, rather than emphasizing the fruits of the Spirit, they will place their emphasis on saying whether or not you are filled with the Holy Spirit is revealed in the gifts. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are incredibly important. But understand this. Without the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not effective. They will not be transformative. And so if we don't have the fruit first, exercising the gifts is fruitless. I know I almost made a joke. I tried, but I just can't do it. So anyway, here's the thing. What God wants us to examine is what's happening in our life if we're being transformed from the inside out. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he will flow out of you like a refreshment that blesses the lives of others. That's why here in these scriptures, the Bible puts the fruit in contrast to living for ourselves and for our own desires. Um, They're contrasted against being conceited or self-centered, envious, and provoking others, having a judgmental attitude towards other people. So how are we doing? How are you doing? Is your life defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? These nine fruits describe what God does in us and desires to do through us when he fills us with his presence. And here's what it is. Those nine characteristics 
are the nine characteristics that you would see in Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want to fill you with my presence so that you look like Jesus. Jesus, who was, who was absolutely sinless, who was absolutely perfect, who did everything right, what defined his character were these fruits, his love, his gentleness, his kindness. Now, there were times when he was stern, where he cleared out things like the, the, um, the things where um, commerce was happening in the temple rather than prayer, but the general characteristics that defined his life were the same as these fruits of the Spirit. In fact, Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. He is filled, his ministry was filled with grace towards others. He was the rightful judge, knew all the information, and yet he responded to us with grace. He is the definition of self-control. He never sinned. He was faithful even unto death, death on a cross, he is the Prince of Peace and brings peace to the brokenhearted and to, to those who are in fear. He is joy. Jesus is not a somber person. He was filled with immeasurable joy. In fact, if, especially if we could understand in the original language, many of the stories that he tells are filled with humor. He actually can tell a joke, not like me. He, could, he did a great job in that. And people were drawn to him. People who never would have felt comfortable going into a religious service, into a church, or into the temple were drawn to Jesus because his life overflowed with the things we all desire most, which are the fruits of the Spirit. They're so attractive. That's why God wants us to be filled with them because this is putting his presence through us on display. It's incredibly important. The greatest fruit, the one that's listed first and the one that Paul confirms in, in Ephesians as well, is love. And again, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is not, not the exercise of the gifts. Those are important, and we'll talk about those in the future. But what's most important is that the fruit comes first because the fruit shows the authenticity of the message. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men... And of angels, but have not love, the first fruit of the Spirit. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you think God wants to get our attention about how important these fruits of the Spirit are? How significant they are? What he's saying is prophecy without love and the fruit of the Spirit will never bring about transformation. The truth is, evil spirits can prophesy. Balaam is a prophet of the Old Testament who was self-centered, a selfish man filled with sin. He spoke prophecy. In fact, God used him to, to speak the prophecy about the star that would appear over Bethlehem that pointed to the coming of the Savior. But there was no love in his heart and there was no fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and prophecy, just so you know, most prophecy in the scripture and in the modern church Some of it is foretelling, telling the future, but not very much. Most of it is telling forth the truth of what God has already proclaimed. But either one of them, if they are not met first with the authenticity of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, there's no transformation. Let me just make it incredibly personal. If I, as a pastor, do not demonstrate The fruits of the Spirit, don't listen to what I say. Because even if I speak the truth, it will not have the power of transformation because the Holy Spirit is not the one doing it. I'm doing it in my own strength. And the same is true for any other preacher that you listen to. If their life and their teaching isn't leading people to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that their lives are defined by those nine characteristics, don't listen to them. Even if what they say is true, it is not transformative. It is not the message of the gospel. We need to be so careful here and understand that this is the mark that something is authentic from the Lord. These nine characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit must come before the exercise of the gift because it shows the authenticity. So what about our own life? This is where I want to encourage you to look in the mirror. What what does God need to work on in you and work on in me? Am I defined by love, by joy, by peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If not, the answer is not try harder. The answer is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is His work in us and through us. We need to abide in the Lord so that His life can bring forth these characteristics, these fruit in us and through us. So, Is your life filled with love for God and for others? Or do you tend to judge instead of love? Are you filled with joy? Or are you a crank? Here's the thing. When I read that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, if I have um, all prophecies but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now, what that means is it doesn't mean it's, it's an alarm letting people know there's danger, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not talking about a siren that's going down the street saying there's an emergency. What it means is you're driving me crazy because it just keeps going and going, and so they never hear the message because it just sounds like annoying noise. We cannot speak the truth unless we speak the truth in love. We need to speak the truth, and people need to hear the truth. But, but if it is to be transformative in a person's life, to lead them into a closer relationship with God or help them discover who Jesus is, it must be spoken in love by the power of the Holy Spirit for transformation to happen. All through the Scripture. This is the message that we see. Romans chapter 2, verse 
verses 3 and 4 says, Do you suppose, O man, who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you see what that was? Those were fruits of the Spirit. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It is the goodness of God that transforms us. The law of God shows us how far short we come, that we can never measure up to God on our own. But it is God's kindness that brings change, that brings us to salvation and new birth. Therefore, that's what should define us as well, those fruits of the Spirit. Jesus wants to set people free to really live, and he does so by filling us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? What does the scripture tell us about being filled with the Holy Spirit? We've already said every believer is sealed. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But you may or may not be full of his presence. So let's look here for the next few minutes before we celebrate communion together at Luke chapter 11. We looked at a little bit of this last week, but I want you to see it in context. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching the disciples and us about prayer. And I want you to see what he says. Verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Great question. In, In fact, I encourage you to ask the Lord that as well. Lord, teach me to pray. I want to, I want to know how to communicate with you more intimately. And he said to them, verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. I want you to remember that phrase because I believe it's, I believe it's significant. Jesus is teaching us to ask daily. And he's going to pick back up on that theme of bread and the need for bread um, in just a moment. Verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves um, forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We're instructed that forgiveness needs to flow out of us as well as flow into us. Lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. After Jesus teaches them the Lord's prayer, he tells them a a very simple parable, a simple story. But he picks up on the same theme of of bread. He has guests that arrive and, and the recognition here is that I have nothing. That's the place where we all need to begin with the Lord, is an acknowledgement of, Lord, I have nothing to give anyone else except for what you give me. And so in the, in the story, he's talking about persistence. And so he encourages them to go, even though the hour is late, to go and to ask, to ask, to seek, and to knock, to be persistent, to be continual in our asking. What Jesus is saying is is significant in that we need to recognize we have nothing to give. Without the Holy Spirit, you and I have nothing to offer. 
And then Jesus picks back up the theme of continually asking in his parable in verse 7. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. This is the, this is the man he's gone to. The door is now shut and my children are, are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Then, from that teaching on persistence, Jesus is giving us direct instruction. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We are invited to continually seek the Lord. And I believe, I believe strongly um, that we need to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, sometimes more than once, especially when when there's sin in our life and we confess it, we need to ask to be filled again so that the Lord can use us and so that his fruits will flow through our lives. Because you see, ultimately this asking is about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is teaching us to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we are to do, is to prayerfully ask to be filled with his presence. Now, how do you do that? Well, I want to suggest four, four things that we need in order to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one is surrender. To surrender to God's authority and ownership over our lives. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, meaning he has the authority, not us, and that he is the owner of our life. He is the Lord of our life. So the first thing we need to do is surrender. I believe this is part of what the Apostle Paul is pointing to in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When we offer ourselves, when we surrender ourselves to the Lord and say, God, I am yours. All that I am and all that I ever be, I willingly choose to give back to you right now. I place it on the altar. Do with me what you will. That's the first step to being filled with the Holy Spirit for a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step. But if you already are, surrender on a continual basis is what's required. Secondly, we must believe that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit. For many people, this is where it breaks down. We're willing to say, God, I'm yours, but deep inside, we really don't believe that he will fill us, or they're afraid that if he does, somehow we'll be weird. God is not weird, okay? Some of his followers are strange. I confess but God, what he produces, remember what he wants to give you. He wants to give you love, joy, peace, 
Gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, patience, self-control. He wants your life to overflow in such a way that others see the presence of God in and through you. That's why you're being filled. Do you believe he wants to fill you so that that flows out of your life, into you and out of your life? Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3 says, let me ask only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, having been born, having come to salvation by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Because, see, our tendency is to try to do things in our own power, in our own strength. So we need to believe that God really will fill us with his presence. Thirdly, we not only need to surrender and believe, we need to obey. Acts chapter 5, verse 32 says, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Don't expect God to fill you if you're being disobedient to what he's already told you to do. Why should he? He wants us to turn everything over to him. And where he is challenging us to stretch, to obey, to have faith, to surrender ourselves and to surrender um, everything to his ownership, we are to obey. And, and, and that is a, an incredibly important part. We are to obey the Spirit promptly. When you are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will speak into your heart, prompting you, showing you the will of God, what you are to do. It may not be an audible voice. In fact, most of the time it will not be, but there will be discernment and direction from the Holy Spirit showing you how to obey Him. And then fourthly, we're to ask, just as we read in Luke chapter 11, to ask the Father to give us the Holy Spirit, and He is good and willing to do so. Surrender yourself to God as a sacrifice. Believe that God desires to give you every spiritual blessing and that he will fill you with the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. Choose to obey what God tells you to do in obeying the Spirit promptly and ask to be filled. Now, the part I want to close with is later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul picks up on this same theme in a prayer that he has for the church. That prayer is very, very significant. Here in chapter one, he says, every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter three, he asks that they may be filled with the fullness of God. And I want to just read you his prayer because it's a prayer for us individually and it's a prayer for us as a church. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened through the power, uh, with power through his spirit in your inner being, meaning to be filled with the spirit. Power comes from the spirit's presence within us. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, the belief that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
See what he's praying for? He's praying for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I believe that individually we should ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I also believe that corporately as a church we should ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for us My prayer for you on a regular basis is that God will fill you with all the fullness of God, that you may know his love, that you may experience his power and his presence, that you may be filled with his goodness. We need to pray that for one another and pray that for the church. One of the secrets, I believe, to to what happened in the book of Acts where the church was gathered together in one accord, they were united together, was that they were praying in accordance with Jesus' promise that he would send the Holy Spirit, that he would fill them. And when he filled them, because they were praying together collectively, 120 of them, God did miraculous things out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives. If we want to see transformation happen in the city of Prague, It begins by us as God's people asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can then be poured out into the lives of others. If we want to see transformation in our families, transformation in our home countries, it's the same thing. We need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I placed in your bulletins uh, just a prayer I wrote based upon Ephesians 3. And I want to encourage you as, as you're, I'm not going to put you on the spot yet. I want to encourage you to, to look at that and, and maybe begin praying that for our church. Pray it for ourselves and, and may, you can make it your own. There's nothing magical about what I put down there. That's just how my thoughts processed what I saw in Ephesians chapter three. But I want to urge us to be praying for one another as a church that God will fill us. Because when he does, God will do incredible, incredible things. And we will see him, the Lord Jesus, being lifted up. God's instructions for us is not individualized. Although we have a personal relationship with God God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we also are a community of believers. One of the reasons Jesus instructed us to celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper was it's a time when we all come together and we have the same bread and the same cup. That we remember what Jesus Christ has done. And that's what's represented in the bread and the cup. In the bread, we recognize Jesus' body that was given for us. That he willingly surrendered himself just as he asks us to willingly lay down our life to God's ownership, Jesus came to do the Father's will and he offered his body as a sacrifice for us. He invites us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. Likewise, the cup represents Jesus' blood and the new covenant. We've looked at that a lot in recent days. This new covenant 
is found in his blood, which is represented by the wine, by the cup. He poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that you and I could be covered and cleansed from sin and then clothed in his righteousness. When we partake of the bread and of the cup, we remember what the Lord has done and we come together in community as the church, as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ to celebrate. And so what I want to encourage you to do is as we today celebrate communion, would you simply pray in your heart as you're coming, Lord, would you fill us? Would you fill me and would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you unite us together more and more closely as your people? Would you remove the divisions that separate us so that we can live as you prayed, Lord Jesus, as one, united in him? Would you make that your prayer as we come and celebrate? I'm gonna invite those who are serving the Lord's Supper to come and I'm gonna ask a blessing upon this and we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. The scripture tells us that on the night before he was crucified, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given to you. He also took the cup and he blessed that and he said, this cup is the new covenant. It contains my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. That's what we remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. As you come, we have both wine and juice. We also have um, gluten-free bread for those who need it. But we come in communion to celebrate what the Lord has done. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing upon this bread which represents your body, which was given for us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your salvation. Lord Jesus, we also ask your blessing upon the cup. May we, as we partake of it, remember your love that was poured out for us on a cross, showing us just how far you, God, would go for us. Let us never take that for granted, Lord. Forgive us for losing sight of it. Let us be filled afresh with wonder over your love and over your grace. And Lord, as a community, as we come and partake of the bread and of the cup, Lord, would you help us to surrender ourselves to you, to believe that we are to abide in you and that you will fill us with your presence, with the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you give us, give us the grace to obey you? And we boldly ask that you would fill us, your church, with the Holy Spirit. Thank you in advance for what you are doing. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.